Welcome to the Girl Gang Craft Podcast, where we dive in deep to all things business, wellness, creativity, and activism for artists and entrepreneurs. We talk with impactful, female-driven companies and founders for an inside look at the entrepreneurial experience, where you'll come away with tangible steps to elevate your business. Are you ready? I'm your host, Phoebe Sherman, founder of Girl Gang Craft, artist and designer and marketing obsessed. We're here to learn together how to expand our revenue, implement new organizational techniques, and cultivate best business practices as we work towards creating a life doing what we love. Let's get started. Hello, hello. Hey, creatives. Welcome to Girl Gang Craft, the podcast. We have a fun guest today, Alexandra Z. Really excited to have her on. I've been following her for a while since I started making things myself. And if you're in the Bay Area, you're probably following her too. She's an amazing woodworker. And we have a conversation about creativity and starting out and process and materials and boundaries. And it's a really great conversation. So before we hop into the interview, though, I just wanted to put a couple things on your radar. So when this premieres, we're just a few days out from our May 22nd Salem Craft Fair. So if you're in the area or a little bit far away, come, come, come one and all to our free craft fair. We're excited. We can't wait to be here in Salem, Massachusetts. It's seriously wild that we're on both coasts now. So If you're just sort of tuning in here, I've been living in the Bay Area and I moved to Salem in October and we're building a community here and it feels really good. So if you've been wanting to check out our event and you're on the East Coast, come hang out. It's from 11 to 5 at Derby Square slash Town Hall. It's an inside outside event and I hope to see you there. A couple other things that are going on. We, of course, have our new product line, our Assy About My Small Biz sweatshirt, our Small Biz hats, and then our Find Joy shirt. So those are all available on the website. If you don't know what I'm talking about, go check it out, girlgangcraft.com slash shop. And we will be launching our Click membership soon. So if you are interested in being part of our community, if you want to meet other entrepreneurs, if you feel stuck in your business in any way and want to learn things like how to convert your web, make your website convertible, (laughs) convertible, how to make your website have more conversions. There we go. Facebook ads, all sorts of fun things. So I teach classes and then we bring in guest teachers. Quarter three and quarter four isn't quite hashed out. So I'm not going to speak on who the teachers are going to be, but we're very close to having that all figured out. It's a really great opportunity to connect with other creatives, other small business owners. If you're feeling alone in your business making. If you're someone who doesn't really have a lot of small business friends, this is for you. This is a great way to connect with your community, to connect with other artists and small business owners. If you're someone who does have a lot of small business friends, great. Do you want more? Do you want to stay connected with more? That's a really great environment to stay connected with each other and learn from each other and take classes together. So we're going to be launching the click again, early June. So keep a lookout for that. And I'll put the waitlist link in the show notes as well. And I think that's it right now. I think we do have a reels course coming up in the fall. So that's a little bit away, but I'm really excited to talk about short form video content on both TikTok, both Instagram, how to repurpose, how to bring it on Pinterest. Like what, how do you even create a video? How many times should I be posting? What sort of videos do well? How can I get over the fear of speaking on camera, etc.? 
etc. So we're going to be talking all about that in that course, which is very near and dear to my heart. I sort of dove into the video world and I fell in love. I fell in love with making videos, making content. I really enjoy it. And I think you might too. I think it's a really interesting creative process that really can parallel well with your business and be aligned with it. So if you're interested in that, I'll drop the wait list below as well. And that's enough of me chatting today. We will hop right into the episode. Hello, creatives. Welcome to Girl Gang Craft, the podcast. We have Alexandra Z on the podcast today. And I know if you've been in Oakland, you've probably heard about her. You've probably heard about her from beyond Oakland. And I'm going to let her introduce herself. Hi, Alexandra. Welcome to the podcast. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for being here. I know we originally had plans for her to be at our small biz summit that we didn't do. So we decided to have a podcast and I'm so glad that we get to have a conversation because I know we talked on a panel format before about Mm -hmm. partnerships specifically with Aaron Fong. So I'm excited to get a little bit more in depth with you. Yay. Me too. Yay. Okay. So who are you and what is it that you do? I am Alexandra Z, like we already just talked about, and I am a woodworker and artist, and I live and work out of Oakland, California. I create things all the way from massive installs and hotels and private residence to tiny wall pieces that are a bit more affordable. So kind of just all over and making art with my husband every day. And how did you get into woodworking? So I got into woodworking a little bit after college. I had always known that art was going to be some sort of major theme in my life. I didn't know if it was going to be a job or just a hobby, but I did go to art school, majored in fine art, and kind of originally thought that I was going to be a painter or maybe doing installation work. And I got a job working for a major retailer. And I did display windows and in-store display for about three years for anthropology. And that was back in 2008. So it was kind of when anthro was like ruling the world with all of their, you know, handmade everything. And there was an artist in every single store that created the windows, the fixtures, the signage, everything in the store that wasn't for sale was handmade by an artist. And I had that job right out of college, which was totally a dream job. It was the hardest thing that I had ever done up until that point in my life because you were basically making every art form. But it was when I was doing things that were kind of woodworking themed that I felt like, oh my God, I love this and I want to do more of it. And that love just kind of grew with that position. And I definitely realized that I don't like having a boss. And I don't like being told what to do. (laughs) So I decided to leave that and become a waitress while I built my artwork woodworking business. I love that. I mean, that's so parallel for a lot of us listening that we don't like being told what to do. I mean, me for Mm -hmm. sure. I knew very early that I did not want to work for anyone else. So when you know that, you know that. (laughs) Definitely do. You know, and I definitely got like reprimanded a couple of (laughs) times. I was just like, this is not for me. I want to make the calls. And I also really just, I wanted to make a name for myself and not make a name under the umbrella of somebody else. And that was really important to me. So that fueled a lot of it. But that first step in like, it was definitely a career to leave a career with 
healthcare and, you know, definitely a path forward. I got, you know, my family was not super stoked, but, you know, as things started picking up and kind of got like my first like magazine article, then my family was like, oh, okay, (laughs) I think you're doing something. (laughs) How did that like medium switch like work for you? If you sort of studied painting and more, I don't know, like more like drawing, painting oriented things. I don't know what the other word for that is. And then sort of switching to this other medium. How did that feel? And also I'm kind of curious, do you still paint like for fun? So I do not paint and (laughs) my paintings, to be honest, were God awful. And like, I shouldn't have been painting. (laughs) I was definitely always inspired more so by like the organic form and everything that I painted was like pretty abstract. And so they were never really that successful. And it wasn't until kind of the end of college when I had this, you know, like mixed media professor that really blew my mind. And she was like very, very different into like anything I'd ever learned. And she was very abstract, a little bit wild and the hands-on of materials and using materials for not what their like sole purpose is, was something that like really deeply inspired me. And then moving into anthro, which I didn't say, did I say anthropology? It was anthropology. It was everything in that job was you were challenging what a medium could do. And so I just fell deeper and deeper in love with creating things with my hands. That was like building sets and building moments with my hands, as opposed to just working on a flat surface and painting. That was like my entryway into opening up the create, like the deeper creative side of my brain. So that transition almost felt really seamless and, you know, like illustrating and drawing and painting. It's just, I was never really good at it and I'm still not good at it. I would rather work on building and making abstract things. So I don't feel like I've left a piece of me. I'm, you know, thankful for that small little bit of me that was a painter that led to what I really love and what I'm I'm actually good at. Yeah. So, and then what was that like after you quit that job and you were waitressing and starting to build your business? What were those beginning days like? It's definitely a hustle. And, you know, being young, I was in my early twenties that helped a lot because it was a lot of working in a shop that I was told I was not supposed to use, which was in the basement of my apartment building, but I did it anyways. And I got away with it for like, probably like a year and a half, maybe two years until my landlord found out. But I was, you know, down there during the day and then working until, you know, six to midnight, a restaurant, which, you know, totally worked for like a younger, early twenties person. I had plenty of energy, but it was a grind. It was definitely a hustle. But I remember one of my last days at my waitressing job so vividly when I had started getting orders and I was getting a little stressed that I couldn't fulfill them. And I had talked to my boss and I was like, you know what? Like I would be making more income being in my studio. I think this is the last day for me. And I just remember getting this big hug and my boss being like, if you ever need to come back, you can come back. And I was like, oh my God, I think I've got something here. And it kind of has just, you know, slowly grown from there. And it's always going to be 24 seven work, but the early days, it was a hustle, but it was also like this new and exciting thing. And when I think about it, I still kind of get the butterflies that I had back then. I mean, it wasn't like that long ago. It was like 13 years ago. (laughs) And what did those early pieces look like for you? 
I was definitely still like refining and getting good at my craft. They were a little bit more basic, but I was making a lot of triangles back then. And, you know, some of my miters weren't absolutely perfect, but it was a little bit, I would say like rougher and chunkier, a little bit more rustic. I was using reclaimed materials. And now I use, I would say now my work is a lot cleaner and a lot more minimal. And I use all brand new wood that is sustainably farmed and is sustainably grown. So back then I was kind of dumpster diving for all these reclaimed materials from people that were ripping down their homes and things like that. It's still sort of like the same geometric patterns. Yeah. You. It's okay. always been geometric patterns. That's You're never making like flowers or anything. That was never no, for you. Never okay. flowers and never okay. color. That's never color. The same. <laughs> okay, cool. Fascinating. So like you started to develop your style. Well, okay. You talked about materials. Let's talk about that first. When did you make that switch to new materials? So I think it came along with, I moved into a different studio on Market Street that I shared with other woodworking goddess, Katie Gong. We shared studios for a really long time, but we were in this really cool condemned building. So it was cheaper rent. And we knew that there was going to be a date that we had to leave because the building was going to be torn down. But we were in this basement with like hardly any ventilation. And I was bringing in, like I had ended up making friends with a couple contractors that when they would rip down a house in San Francisco, I would get to sift through the lumber. And I feel like my allergies and things were acting up and just really thinking about like what these old houses were built out of what mm. I was sanding off could have been, you know, like mold from water damage, asbestos, lead paint. And I just kind of got to thinking that like, I didn't necessarily want to be putting that into my lungs and then, you know, putting that into the world as well, you know, because there's been a lot of changes in the world as to what's legal within paint and all these things. And so there was a side to the reclaimed that I wanted to source something that was a little bit healthier to breathe in. And so Finding something and learning more about it, learning more about finding materials that are sustainable has kind of been like a driving force in my business. I am a firm believer in not adding more junk to the world and more junk to the world at the expense of the environment. So finding materials that are FSC certified, which is the Forest Stewardship Council, and there are regulations on what gets cut down, what gets grown, how it's harvested, making sure ecosystems remain intact. So that was the switch for me that felt really important because, you know, there is a shortage of green on the planet and I don't want to be a part of removing that. So using sustainable materials and also making sure that what I was breathing in, because sawdust is never good, you know, in general, but that at least it wasn't loaded with like chemicals that were used a long time ago and I'm protecting the environment. So was that something like you announced to your customer base and did you raise your prices because of that? So my prices in the beginning, you know, like you definitely, I get this question, you know, from people starting out, like, how do you price yourself? And that's always a tough question because you want to take into account how much your materials cost, how much you think your time is worth. And then what your overall, what you would price something. So a lot of times when you sit down and do all those numbers, you're like, oh my God, that's a lot of money. So then you kind of subtract to like where you're comfortable. And then for me with my pricing, I've always raised it every year, every year I raise it a certain amount just to kind of deal with everything rising 
in life, but I like That's to good advice. Them. Everyone listen to that. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Raise your prices every year. I mean, not astronomically so that all of a sudden you're incredibly unaffordable, but you know, there are things if you've had a really big year and you know, you get a lot of press and your name is out there, then, you know, that's even more encouragement to bump it up a little more. But every year I do raise, and it is different. I don't raise it a specific amount every year. I do take into account what the years looked like, what my numbers have been, if my materials have gotten more expensive, where I'm actually due to raise my prices because the cost of lumber has doubled. So it is time to raise my prices and with you know gas pricing and shipping. So those are all things to consider. But yes, I did. I did raise my prices when my materials, I was no longer dumpster diving and getting things for free. So the prices did go up, but also so did the growth of my business. So it did feel like it was time to set a new baseline back then. But I mean, it is always a very strategic decision to raise them or not to raise them. You know, I take a lot of things into consideration, but also I do make sure that I have things that are at a price point that is inclusive, you know, if somebody, I would always, you know, want to make something for someone that has a lower budget. I don't want to be completely unaffordable because I really appreciate everyone that saves to buy a piece of artwork. It's an honor to make the huge pieces and the little ones. Mm. So how did you get those first orders? What was that like putting yourself out there and were you on Etsy? Did you have your own website right off the bat? What did you do to get your work out in the world? So for some reason, I just like was like, no Etsy. I didn't want my work to be on Etsy. I really wanted to make my website and, you know, where you found my work, something very curated and where you could only act just me. So it was kind of before Instagram had really taken off and that was not really yet a marketing tool. It was more so like it felt like it was Tumblr in the beginning. Yeah. And so Instagram wasn't really the thing just yet. And I, (laughs) I mean, I feel like this is something nobody will ever do again. And it's like kind of weird, but I made all these portfolios, these beautiful portfolios. And I was just basically knocking on doors. I went to retail spaces. I was at art openings as much as I could getting into galleries. And a lot of it was like, retail base, which was cool. I got to do displays in retail stores. My first like art show was at a shop called Bell Jar that was in the mission for a while. That was right next to my, you know, now so dear friend, Benny Gold. And he was one of the first people that bought a big piece for me. And he had a larger following on Instagram. And he was just kind of like, still is a local skate legend celebrity. And I would say having that art show at Bell Jar, And then Benny Gold and his family buying an art piece. They were the first big things that kind of launched my career and got my name out there and made it so other people beyond what I could physically reach started seeing my name in my work. So like initially, were you more like retail or more gallery or more like individual online custom orders? So in the very beginning, it was a lot of putting my work up on consignment in any place that I could or was in a couple gallery shows in the very beginning so that everything was more so like walk into a store and see my work or walk into a gallery. But then as Instagram started picking up and, you know, a following started coming, then things became more custom commissions as my name got bigger than just local San Francisco. But that was, you know, slow growth. And I will say that Instagram initially took off 
you know, in the early days, if you had like a big brand mention you, you'd get like 5,000 followers overnight. And Urban Outfitters ended up doing a whole studio visit and coming to my shop, shooting, you know, me and my work. And that was the first thing that really like skyrocketed the numbers for me and then got me into, you know, a bigger space where, you know, my inbox started to fill up and commissions started to be the name of the game for me. And then how did you sort of like ride that wave? What did you do when Instagram sort of started taking off to continue to tell about your work to your community? So after it did start taking off, I mean, I feel like I've kind of had a very, you know, similar formula that I share bits of my life mixed in with my artwork. And just for me personally, my artwork, my home design, the way that I dress, the things that I do, it's all very like the same. I'm inspired by a very similar color palette and I love to, you know, design where I live. And so kind of sharing all of that felt really organic and just kind of keeping up with that is how things just continue to rise. And I don't really have like this, like answer of like how I strategically built numbers. Cause in the beginning, I felt like things just, they were just rolling and I kind of had no idea why I was just working away in the shop. And for me, those numbers, I had this conversation yesterday, numbers on Instagram really is a means to my business being successful and a means to me paying my bills and, you know, keeping my business afloat. It's never been kind of like this fame thing, you know, like, Oh, Alexandra Z like that. I'm just like, no, I'm so normal. And I'm so goofy. Like I'm not like the Alexandra Z. So for me, those numbers are, I'm grateful for it, but you know, it really is. It's what keeps my business alive. If that makes any sense. Yeah. I mean, I have other Instagram questions, but I kind of want to touch on this like fame thing for a second, if you're up for it. Yeah. Like, I don't know, like, do people notice you out in Oakland? How do you react to that? How does that make you feel? I mean, every once in a while, someone will, you know, come up to me. And for me, it's a complete honor that someone appreciates my work. So anytime somebody comes up to me and a lot of, you know, the growth of my business was also doing craft fairs like West Coast Craft. I was a part of the very first one and I did it every year for seven years. And so people, you know, getting to come up and talk to me, you know, and see that I'm, I'm just, I'm a normal person. I'm a business owner. It's humbling, but you know, also it's like, there's no reason to be nervous saying hi to me. Cause I really am just like you and I'm just trying to make my way in the world, but it is, it's an honor. And I love meeting anyone that is inspired by my work. And I still like, can't believe that someone will be like, Oh my God, I want to go meet her. I'm like, me? What? what are you talking about? <laughs> So it's really special to me. I do. I find it, you know, incredibly special that someone wants to say hello because they love what I create. Mm. Have there any been any like negative experiences with being well-known? Oh yeah. I mean, (laughs) you know, every other day I'm like, (laughs) every day I give up. I don't want to do this anymore. You know, just social media gives a microphone to everyone. And, you know, that's a good thing and a bad thing. And I would say, you know, there are a lot of like expectations that are put on anyone that has a following. And I try my hardest to, you know, like I I stay in line with my values and I'm definitely, you know, I am open to critique and I always want to be better and I want to be better for my community and support my community and the world and positive movement forward always. 
But, you know, there are the trolls and there are, you know, the people that will never like you, never agree with you, always be against what you stand for. And you can't make everybody happy. It's impossible, you know, but that's, you know, not to say there haven't been tears shed and there hasn't been times where I'm like, I need to pull back and stop allowing this space to like infiltrate my heart. So I would say there's been years where I've been, you know, like sharing a lot more openly and then times where I pulled back and it's just... And also even just like things that I work through in therapy of having a healthy mindset around the space of Instagram, you know, because I would say no one is a stranger to people saying negative things to you online. And that's really sad, (laughs) but there is a lot of sadness in the world, but yeah, it's definitely, it's something that I'm always trying to develop healthier habits around. What are some of those habits like less screen time, or is there something that you turn to if something does sort of affect you? Because I mean, we can't not be affected by the things people say all the time. Do you respond to people? What is sort of like your game plan for trolling? So, you know, sometimes like I'll leave a fiery response and then I'm like, that was emotionally based and, you know, (laughs) I need to rein it back in. But there has been times when I've, you know, like wanted to speak to things and I have spoken to things, you know, like I have gotten bullied a few number of times, but I also, I don't like to throw the bullying right back. I think it's more of a, you know, like a bigger conversation on like how we do speak to each other and, you know, to treat each other as you want to be treated. And I know that that saying is just like easier said than done. And that a lot of different things trigger a lot of different people for a whole, you know, like the list goes on. So my healthy habits like usually are aside from like what my husband and I have been sharing lately about our journeys with IVF, I've kind of pulled a little bit more back on the extremely personal things and sharing my opinion on things, except when it like, it really, really matters. So that's kind of a little bit of self-preservation that I've done. And I really, I don't engage with, you know, the trolling. I'm always up for having a conversation on how to be better, but when it's blatantly hateful and I do not allow like any kind of hate speech, any kind of violence, any kind of threats, like if any of those things exist and they will be deleted and blocked. So I think that there is like a hard line and a hard boundary that I've set up. And I think that that's very healthy. And another healthy practice, my favorite practice as of late is I've turned off my number count of likes Mm. and I would always, you know, like be like, oh, why is that not getting like, you know, I think everyone does. Why does that photo not getting enough engagement? Like, did I do something wrong? Like, do I need to up my, like, what do I need to do? And turning that off has just alleviated all of it. And I think that that's like one of the healthiest things that Instagram has allowed us to do. Like who cares what that number looks like? If it's something you want to share, then share it. It doesn't matter if 200 people like it or 3000 people like it. That has been a really healthy practice around just living in this online space. That's awesome. When you do that, do you still see views like for reels or something? Yeah. So with like reels and videos, I think unfortunately those things can't be turned off, okay. but you can always click in on your insights mm-hmm. to see it, oh, um, you want to see okay. how it's performing, but it's not something that's like broadcasted to the world. That's awesome. That's mm-hmm. awesome. So what do you do for self-care outside your business? So self-care for me, I would say, I feel like I am definitely a person that kind of just like I morph and I change with every new season of life. And for me, and I think probably a lot of people with becoming going through COVID and possibly coming out of it, not hundred percent sure we're coming out of it yet. 
Cross fingers. <laughs> yeah. Fingers crossed. I've really found that my alone time and that my like space with just being with my husband or just being at home or just going on a walk are my versions of self-care that I am less kind of filled up by, you know, like big events or groups of people. I've been finding just a lot of solace in my alone time and my reflection time. And that is recharging me and my self-care. Mm-hmm. Stepping away from Instagram too, like putting it all down, closing my computer, putting my phone down and then just being alone. Yeah, that's beautiful. A quick word from our community sponsor. Miss Melinda is a professional priestess and spiritual consultant providing readings, teaching and magic from a universalist perspective with an emphasis on spiritual connection and emotional awareness. She teaches powerful foundational tools for leading a magical intuitive life. As a universalist, she honors the core truth of religions and spiritual systems throughout time and culture, offering foundational tools and techniques independent from limiting belief systems. Book a reading or teaching session with Miss Melinda today at missmelinda.com. You'll thank yourself later. And you can follow Miss Melinda at Miss Melinda on Instagram. Okay, let's talk a little bit about like marketing as well. I mean, we've talked a little bit about the boundaries and the trolling and a little bit of that, but let's see. I kind of want to go back to the press because you mentioned press and you mentioned getting your name mentioned in press and that can help your sales and help your visibility. Are you someone who's pitching press or is press coming to you? What does that sort of PR strategy look like if you have one? So, my PR strategy really for like, God, up until maybe a couple of years ago has all been just letting it come to me and then picking what feels good and organic. In the very beginning, a lot of it was kind of maybe even like trade based. Like if someone was coming to me, you know, if could I have this piece for free and then I'll do a blog about it. And in the very beginning, I will say that don't be a stranger to giving your work away for free. If that means getting more visibility on it, or even reaching out to, you know, people on Instagram that have a larger following and say, maybe they do follow you and saying, Hey, I really love what your house looks like. Could I build you something that fits in with your aesthetic and your color scheme and having them, you know, it is sometimes a shot in the dark. I would say that would be my pitching, you know, an Instagram marketing wise. But more recently, I have signed with a talent agent, Illuminate Social. They're wonderful. And so they're kind of doing a lot of pitching now for me, which is really nice because I do run all aspects of the business by myself. And so to have, you know, a little team behind me that's helping with that is really wonderful. You know, and then they've got a list of people that they work with. But, you know, I've only been working with them for a year now. So, So are they pitching you for press mostly or also like partnerships as well? Partnerships, press, kind of, you know, like whatever comes through that will like shine a light and potentially have some sort of budget, which is awesome. But I will say organically, a lot of things come to my inbox. And because I am running this whole show by myself, I haven't spent as much time sitting there and, you know, being like, I want to be in this magazine. How do I do that? Which I could definitely spend some more time on, but just trying to like make the artwork and get it out and make sure it doesn't break. And on the way and shipment is my main focus right now. (laughs) What does it feel like to have help in those capacities? Cause I know it was you for so long and you also, it's just you and your husband basically, right? It's just me and my husband. Yes. Okay. So what is it like to have some help in that arena? 
incredible. So it, it was just me for a while until my husband kind of joined forces with me probably about seven years ago. And just having, you know, the help in creating the artwork, lumber shopping, you know, I still, I completely run the business side of things, which I don't think I'll ever not do because so many things it's like, I'm the only one that can quote the job or my voice is what's really important, you know, to speak via email, but having help in terms of, you know, collaborations and brand partnerships with Instagram, because Instagram also is like, it's another job and having help with that has been incredible. It's like, released so much tension and like weight that I was carrying on like, Oh my God, I got to get back to this in time. Or like, shoot, I let that sit there for a week and a half. And now the opportunity is gone. So now I just, you know, pass things on to my manager, which is incredible. And then, you know, on the really busiest of days, my husband will say, and we'll tackle emails together and we do supply shopping together which I mean, even just having someone to help supply shop and like get the lumber into the truck is incredible. So it being a two person job is amazing compared to just doing it by myself. And I am so thankful that, you know, the business does support being able to support me and my husband together our entire household is the business. And I know that he loves doing it and we work really well together. So, I mean, this formula, I'm so grateful that we get to do it this way. That's awesome. Do you have any like tips for anyone who wants to work with their partner, like any sort of like boundaries you set or rules or anything like that? Yeah, definitely. I mean, of course it took a while for us to find our flow within it. And there are different roles that we play in the shop and at home that are important to remember that, you know, like turning off our work vibe when we get home, because at work, you know, it is, it's very, it is pretty business and because I've established all these things, you know, I'm the boss, but I like, I call the shots and I know like, here's what needs to get done. This is the way I communicate, you know, what's going on in the email to what needs to happen. And so when we get home, you know, like we can't have the house be run, like I'm the boss. Cause that just does not work. <laughs> and it's not healthy. So it's taken a lot of, you know, intentional effort to return back to, you know, husband and wife at home and the way that we share the responsibilities of the household together. But, you know, I feel like since Antrim joining, he shares, you know, so many good ideas and ways that we can improve things. And I feel like that's kind of how we are around the house. So a lot of it has just kind of like seamlessly flown together, but I will say it was definitely, it was work in the beginning that we had to, you know, figure out how to function in a healthy way. But yeah, it's definitely, I would say, you know, like make your roles and responsibilities really clear. And I think that that's really important to practice because so easily, like we could just come home and I could still be the boss, but then I feel like that's not a fun way to have your household be like. (laughs) That's so awesome too. That feels like really good to be able to work together and also like a success metric too, to Mm -hmm. have your business be able to support you know, two humans and two dogs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We're so thankful every day that, you know, we do get to make our own schedule and we do get to create together. And I mean, I couldn't imagine it being any other way. And I value every day, you know, even through this pandemic, being able to continue to pay our bills through making art. It's not something that I take for granted or see as anything that I deserve but it's really special. And I hope we do get to continue to do it forever. Yeah. 
you had this cool collaboration with Pottery Barn. Do you want to talk a little bit about that experience? Yeah. So it's an exclusive collaboration and it is still live. It will be, you know, for a very long time. And it was absolutely a dream come true. So in working with big retailers, I kind of have a lot of like a lot of things that have to be checked off in order for it to feel good for me. And because, you know, there are things that come along with mass production that I don't necessarily agree with all the time, but I will say that Pottery Barn is absolutely incredible with how transparent they are with the materials that they use with things being certified FSC and everything is sustainably sourced. They use fair wages on who, you know, makes things and it is a company, Williams Sonoma as a whole, as a company that I am so proud to be a part of. So when they did, I've worked with them a lot of times with kind of designing the house and home items. And I've always been a huge fan because of how transparent they are. And so when the idea of doing an exclusive collection, it was just an absolute honor to make something that you can only find at Pottery Barn. And it was really fun creating it and getting to make the prototypes and, you know, actually dropping them off at the office in San Francisco. It's just, it's all been so incredible. And they are everyone that works for Pottery Barn that I've met. They're all so kind and so excited about the collaboration and just excited about my work. So it's been honestly a dream come true and it still is. And I just, I can't believe that it happened. That's kind of one of my like humongous goals. And I'm so happy with how it's all come out. And it feels good to know that, you know, the materials are all still in line with my beliefs. What was that like experience sort of setting up that process? What sort of things were you looking for besides sort of materials to make sure you were compensated and to make sure... I don't know. Do you want to talk a little bit about the, like the pre-work for that? Yeah. So, I mean, it's kind of, I kind of explain it in a way that it's like, it's almost like a record deal that, you know, you get a percentage of sales and you really just, I mean, the contract is always really important and having someone help you read that contract and redline things that are not okay with you and highlight things that are, and make sure that you know, everything that is going on behind that contract. And I will say that that is something for a small business owner or someone, you know, even working in the Instagram space to have someone help you read your contract so that you know what the usage is, how long things are going to be, what they can and can't be. You know, something for me was I will never be okay with the actual artwork being in a sale room, you know, like collecting dust. That was something that was really important to me that I had learned and, you know, working for anthropology when I would see the sale room not look amazing. And I'd see, you know, like pieces kind of collecting dust or being shoved to the back. I never would ever want to see my artwork physically look like that if it was ever in a physical store. So, you know, like that was something that was important to me, of course, you know, like with materials. So all of it, you know, like, don't be afraid to lay out what your needs are and see if they can be met. And, you know, sometimes, you know, they have to compromise and you weigh out, you know, is this partnership worth it for me to compromise certain things? Or, you know, are there things that I could say, absolutely, I won't do. And the brand is like, got it. I think that's really important. And how do you have a lawyer then for, I don't have a lawyer. Oh, I have a couple of friends that do big collaborations or work for bigger companies where, you know, reading through documents like that is something they do, they do on the regular. I mean, I have a lawyer that I would go to for really big things. That's important, but just having a couple set of eyes on things. And now, so my manager, she reads a lot of my contracts when it comes to Instagram deals. 
But with Pottery Barn, it was just me and a couple other people that read things over page by page. And then, you know, like having a meeting, you know, with Pottery Barn and be like, I love this. I love this. Can we change the wording here? But kind of by this time in my career, I know what words to look out for and what to not. It's all practice. And it's like also messing up and signing away things that you shouldn't have. There was a time early in my career where my husband and I did a stock photo shoot and we got, you know, just paid for the day and those images are still around. And, you know, I have no say on what brand is using them and they were in my wood shop, you know, at least they're all like, they're good photos, but it's like, I could have gotten paid for that usage. (laughs) So that was a big mistake. (laughs) Yeah. Like we were the face of a dating app for a while, which I really didn't like. (laughs) So that was, you know, you live and you learn and you have good collaborations, bad collaborations and everything, you know, you kind of stockpile in this, like will not do again, or will for sure do again folder in your brain. So what advice do you have for creatives that want to work with these big companies, maybe like outreach to them or finding companies that are aligned with their value or anything that you want to speak on for that? Yeah. So I guess for me, making sure that a brand aligns with your values, that they are inclusive, that they're personally, I would say, you know, inclusive on race, gender, body size, that everything is presented. And that's a big one for me. And so, you know, my manager definitely knows that, that I won't work with brands that, you know, that do not include all of those things. And also, you know, like if it's a brand that you're just in love with, like, I guess for me, I love free people and it's something that, you know, I purchase on my own and, you know, maybe someday I'll get like a awesome collaboration job with them. But for me, I just, I share about it or I'll, you know, post about it, tag them. And a lot of times too, when, you know, working with the idea of brands, some brands will like send you something to see, you know, how the engagement is and everything that I share about, I like to use and kind of try out before I make sure that I'm into it before I like agree into like really sharing about it. So that's something that, you know, my following can know it's sincere, but yeah, if there's a company that you do love, you know, I would suggest just like tagging them a lot and, you know, they could or could not, you know, like see, you, what you do with it, how, you know, people are engaging with you, but it is, it's kind of, it is like a little bit of free marketing before you actually get the job. So if you're okay with that, you know, it depends on if that's something you really want. And a lot of times, you know, I do things in the hopes that I'll get a job, but, you know, can't think that like me doing that will equal a job because then it'll just be a frustrating loop. But I don't know. I still feel like Instagram is a lot of trial and error. There's a lot of formula, but there is still trial and error because things are changing all the time. And the whole pay to play is something that I have not subscribed to. I don't put any money behind my posts because it's just, that's too much of a business expense for me right now. So I try to be as creative as possible and not having to put cash behind posts. And you recently made a TikTok. I did. (laughs) How is that for you? Slow for sure. (laughs) You know, I'm no Gen Z. So I was honestly like, I toyed with the idea of being like, I have a 17 year old sister and I'm like, Hey, can I, you know, I'm thinking about like paying her (laughs) to help me make my videos because it's just, it takes me forever to like create them and edit them. And then I'm like, this looks like shit lady, no barking. 
So I'm still a work in progress when it comes to TikTok and like, I haven't found my stride, but you know, it's there and I'm like working on it. It's not anything polished by any means, but I do. I love the space. And I think that there's so much opportunity there. I think I just have to figure out what my thing is. So I'm still working on that, but I do get a lot of joy out of the app. It's just the creation process that I think I need to turn it into more of like a well-oiled machine on like how I make it and like like how Instagram is, I feel like I can almost do it, you know, like it's like muscle memory. So I need to build the muscle memory with TikTok. Yeah. Cool. Thanks for sharing that. I mean, because you're, you know, exactly. You're so well boiled machine on Instagram. TikTok is like a whole different, like beginner's mindset vibe. So it's, yeah, it it's really fascinating. Is. Yeah. So I know that I could, <laughs> you know, I could do more and I just, I think it, just, it takes more time too. So I just, like you said, you know, like I've got to get that muscle memory behind it, but yeah, it's quirky right now. (laughs) Love it. So you have a new collection coming out. You want to talk about that? Yes. So I've been really wanting to make something new that felt really, really, really authentic to, you know, just my style changing and where my design eye is going. And in particular, this collection came by me just looking through a lot of my older work and changing the orientation of it and really just playing around with it on my phone. And I landed on something that I absolutely love that is just kind of like a compilation of older pieces that I've done in, you know, new dimensions. And I'm so excited about it. So I I would say, you know, maybe like a month, maybe a month and a half, I should be ready to debut it, but I am so excited about it. And I think it's really beautiful and minimal and, you know, I hope it's received well, but I'm really excited about it. I'm going to be changing up how I frame my pieces as well. Yeah. And I'm potentially kind of thinking of like a complete like website makeover for all of it. Cause it's time, you know, it's, it's definitely important to recreate and I'm so sorry if you can hear my dog. <laughs> There's a squirrel in the backyard, <laughs> but yeah, I'm so pumped about it. And it's fun to like, finally feel that way. It's been a while. I've had like a bit of a creative dry spell, so I'm really excited. Was there something in particular that sort of got you out of that creative dry spell? Do you think? I think that I would say that kind of the hibernation of COVID, it felt like a deep hibernation really allowed me the space to slow down. And I think it was the slowing down because I have been essentially just running for, you know, since the beginning, since day one and things slowing down allowed me the space to just to think like, what do I really want to create? not, you know, with the pressure of an art fair or a craft show. A lot of times I was like, I got to make something brand new to debut at a craft fair. And that was like a big part of my driving force. And I think this time, let me like really focus on putting the time into it. And not to say that other things have been rushed. They have, you know, divinely come when they needed to, but it was a nice, like refreshing break to hibernate. And kind of just stew on it and make a couple of things that I was like, no, I don't like this. This isn't it. And then find something that I'm like, hell yeah, this feels good. And it feels like a totally different way of creating that I've never allowed myself to do in the past. I'm so excited to see. Yeah. So hopefully end of May is what I would, that's my goal, but you know, it could cool. be <laughs> Yay. Well, this has been so amazing talking to you. Thank you so much. Can you tell our community where they can find you? 
You can find me if you would like to on TikTok. It's just my name and it's a little goofy. And then Instagram at Alexandra Z is where I share snippets of my life, my work, my house. And then my website, alexandraz.com is where you can purchase my work, attend workshops, buy my book, all things like that. Well, thank you so much for joining us. So many nuggets of information here. Yay. This is so fun. Thank you so much for listening to the Girl Gang Craft podcast. Head to girlgangcraft.com slash podcast for show notes and more. See you next time.